morning, afternoon, or evening for wherever you may be joining us from today. Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. so blessed today to have with us uh, Brother Craig Christofferson. He comes from Ottawa, is where he was born and raised. Um, he's been a part of our Ontario district all of his life. Um, he's been an aimer. If you don't know what an aimer is, it means associate in missions to the country of Sweden. He's going to talk to us about that, tell us some exciting things that God is doing there. Uh, Brother Craig, uh, we're so glad that you could be with us today. We're so glad that you would take the time to drive from Ottawa to come over here and spend a few hours with Life Church. And I believe God has an anointing on your life. I know, I don't believe it, I know for sure that He does. I've seen you minister before, and God is using you in a great way. And I believe God is going to speak to us today through Brother Craig Christofferson. Amen. Let's welcome the man of God today to this pulpit. Brother Craig, come and take your liberty. We're glad you're here. Amen. There is a great presence of God in this building right now. There is a great atmosphere of praise and worship that we have made and we have conducted. And I'm telling you, God is going to move in this place. He's going to continue to move. And we are going to have a great and powerful service right now. We have been and it's going to continue on. I thank you for your worship. I thank you for your praise. Amen. He has done so much for me. I cannot tell it all. Ha, Jesus. Go ahead and be seated. You can go ahead and get comfortable today. I want to thank Pastor O'Donnell and his family for having me here today. I want to thank you as a church for having me here today and being with you. It's wonderful to be here today. Amen. This morning, things are going to be a little bit different. I'm not necessarily going to be uh, so much preaching to you today as much as I'm going to be telling stories. And there's a reason why I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell stories to you today because I want these stories to increase your faith. I'm just a guy from five hours down the road. I'm no more special than you are. God doesn't love me more than he loves you. And I want to increase your faith this morning and for you to know he did this for someone five hours down the road. He did this for someone in my district, and he can do it for me too. And so I want us to build up our faith. And as we build up our faith today, as, as we close this service, we're going to come, and we're going to pray, and we're going to bring our God-only needs, something only he can answer. We're going to bring it with a boldened and empowered faith, knowing that he will answer. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you are going to do in this service right now. Amen. As already mentioned, I am, I'm just from Ottawa, Ontario, five hours up the road, and I'm an associate in missions in Sweden. I'm the assistant pastor in the Stockholm Church. And so to, to begin my story today, you can go ahead and throw up the title slide there. Amen. Perfect. That is, that is the old town of Stockholm, Sweden. Been around since 1200 AD. And so to, to start the story today of how I even got over to Sweden, we got to go back to, to the year 2016 when I was a younger boy. <laughs> and my, my aunt and uncle is brother and sister Pickard. And so you'd probably maybe be familiar with them. They're just a, an hour down the road. And, and brother and sister Pickard, brother Pickard is the uh, foreign missions director for our province here in Ontario. And so him and his wife, him and sister Pickard were in a foreign missions meeting. And they were on opposite sides of the room. And so they couldn't see each other. They're on opposite sides of the room. And in this meeting, the topic of the meeting was all of the capital cities in the world that do not have a missionary. 
And so they're going through and they're presenting these cities uh, in this foreign missions board meeting. And my aunt and my uncle, they can't see each other. But as Stockholm is presented, they are both moved to tears by Stockholm. And so they, they move and they have a time of prayer and they get out of that meeting and they begin to talk to each other. And as they talk to each other, they realize that they have been mo- both so moved by Stockholm. And so they've been pastoring a church in, in Toronto for 25-ish years around there. But they say, you know what, we're going to go and check out this church in Stockholm. Are we going to move there? Maybe. Maybe not, but we, we feel God is moving on us to, to at least go and check it out. So we're going to go and see this church in Stockholm, Sweden. God is, is moving upon us. We're both moved to tears for, for a certain reason. So we're going to go and, and check out this city. So they make that commitment, and a little bit of time goes by, and we get to family camp here in the district. And family camp is, of course, a great time to, to see family and to see friends and reconnect with people around the district that you don't get to see so often. And so after one of the services, I see in the back of the sanctuary that my aunt is talking to my mom. And so I think, you know, I'm going to swing around and, and say hello to my aunt, give her a hug and say hi and see what's up. And so I swing back uh, to, the, to the back of the sanctuary and I, I hug my aunt and I say hi to her. And it just so happened that in that moment of conversation, my aunt was telling my mom about how her and uh, my uncle are going to go over to Stockholm, Sweden. And so, of course, my mom, being my mom, knows me pretty well. And so she throws into the conversation, you know, oh, Craig has always been interested in Scandinavia. And this is because my great-grandfather is uh, Danish. He came over from Copenhagen, and that is why my family is here in Canada today. And so I've always kind of been interested in, in Scandinavia and the ancestral roots there. And so my mom mentions this to Sister Pickard and, and says, you know, Craig's always been interested in Scandinavia. And for some reason, Sister Pickard says, well, why doesn't he join us on this trip? <laughs> and that threw me for a loop because I just entered the conversation <laughs> I had no idea what they were even talking about, and now I'm being invited across the ocean with my aunt and uncle, and so I said, you know, well, uh, let me think about this for a moment. And so we went home from family camp, and I was kind of thinking about, about everything, and I had just graduated. At that point in my life, I had just graduated college. I had graduated television broadcasting, and so in my mind, what was going to happen in my life is I was going to start my career. I was going to be the guy that you saw on TV in the morning as you ate your breakfast cereal, giving you the sports highlights, and I was going to start my career in television. And so I thought to myself, you know, once I start my career, I'm, I'm not going to have, I'm going to have two weeks vacation. <laughs> so I'm not really going to have this opportunity again to go overseas. So why don't I do this before I start my career? Because when am I going to be able to do this again? with no ties, with nothing holding me back. I've been very frugal with my money as a student. And so I thought to myself, you know what, I'll I'll go on this trip. And so I texted her a week later and said, you know, I'll come along. And so we head over there, me and my aunt and my uncle and my cousin, we head over there in August of 2016. And so we head over there and we spend a couple days in, in Stockholm, Sweden, going around the town. And then we head up to a place called Falun. And Falun is three and a half hours north of Stockholm. And the church situation in Sweden is that Sweden is about the same size as Ontario with about the same population, and it has two churches. So imagine all of Ontario having two churches. And they are located, one is in Stockholm, and the other is up three and a half hours north in Fallon, Sweden. And so my aunt and my uncle are talking with Pastor Collier there, and Pastor Collier is telling my aunt and my uncle the situation of, of what has happened and why Stockholm uh, needs help. And she's telling them basically the situation is that they, Stockholm Church used to run about 30 to 35 people, but what happened is one day the leadership said, um, we're done, and they left. And that left Pastor Collier in charge of both churches. And so what she was doing is she would wake up on a Sunday morning, preach Sunday morning service up in Fallon, drive the three and a half hours down to Stockholm, preach in Stockholm the afternoon service, drive the three and a half hours back up to Fallon, get back at about one in the morning, go to sleep, wake up at 6 a.m. the next morning to start work, five-day work week. So she was exhausted. She was absolutely exhausted, and she's telling my aunt and my uncle this, and of course, 
you're compassionate for the situation, right? You're, I'm sitting there and it's like, this is, this is terrible. This is awful. But also it's like, I'm going home after this. <laughs> so you can talk to my, and my uncle about this situation. That's what they're here for. I'm going to go see what restaurants we can eat at. <laughs> so I was there on vacation. I was there on vacation. And so moving to Sweden to help out a church, it was not at all on my radar by any means. And so we get to Sunday morning and we go to service up in Fallon and, and everything is in Swedish. So as far as I'm concerned, everybody's speaking in tongues because I don't understand a word of what is going on. So I'm, I'm, I'm in service thinking, wow, everyone's very holy here. <laughs> They're singing in tongues. They don't even, they don't even sing in regular language. <laughs> and so I'm in the service. I have no idea what's going on. And I feel God's presence move heavily upon me. And as you can maybe see by my eyes as I walked up here, the way that I react to God's presence is I just break down crying. And so the way that Swedes are, Swedes are to themselves emotionally. They aren't very expressive with their emotions. And so in this service, I feel God's spirit heavily upon me. And I, I said to God, you know, I don't really want to be this weird North American kid who starts break down crying in a service where he doesn't even understand a single word. This isn't exactly my comfort zone. So why don't we do this another time? Why don't you wait till I'm back in my home church and then I can go off in the corner near the altar and we can, we can deal with that then. And so I pushed God's presence off of me and as soon as God's presence left me, I knew that I messed up. Because I just told God, no. And that's a dangerous place to be in. And so I sat down in that service and I started praying. I said, God, could you bring your presence back to me? I don't want to miss out on what you have for me this morning. God, I, I, you are trying to speak to me. You are trying to impart something onto my life. And I don't want to miss out because all my life growing up, I pray, God, I want to do your will. And here I am. And I just pushed it off. So God, could you please bring your presence back to me? And so God's presence came back heavily upon me just the way it did before. And I broke down crying for the next, who knows, five to 10 minutes. And it was at that point in time where I started kind of getting an intuition that maybe I'm the guy to come back and help Stockholm Church. But that's a big life decision. So I wanted to be sure about it. And so I said, God, I said in that morning service, I said, God, we still have a service tonight in Stockholm. If you move tonight to Stockholm like you did this morning, then I'll be the guy. I'll be the guy to come back and help this church. And so we drive the three and a half hours down to Stockholm and we get there and there's two people in church. And so I'm not proud to admit it. But it's a situation where you look at it and you're like, what's going to happen? What could possibly happen in this service? Now, later on, about halfway through song service, someone walked in to make it three. But still, I thought I was off the hook. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to be going back home. Okay, you know, I guess I just felt compassionate. I guess that's all it was. And so my uncle preaches that service and we have altar call. And we had a powerful altar call. We had tongues and interpretation in a service where only three people were not my family members. God moved powerfully in that altar call. And so after that altar call, I, I told my aunt, my uncle, I said, I'm pretty sure I'm the guy who's supposed to come back and help out the Stockholm church. I'm pretty sure I'm the guy who's supposed to do it. So we came home and I applied to the associate admissions program to go back there for three months. I started trying to apply for apartments and then a little bit of time uh, went and, and, and nothing transpired and we got to Thanksgiving. And so Thanksgiving, we go, every year we go up to my other aunt and uncle's house, the Abbots, up in, in Pembroke, Petawawa, and we go up there for Thanksgiving. And so I shared with them pictures like you, you see here, and I told them the story of God's presence moving upon me. And how I felt that I was supposed to be the guy to go back and help this country and this city and this church. And of course, my family was excited for me. They said, you know, Craig, this is awesome. We're so happy for you. Congratulations. You know, we're praying for you. And it was wonderful. 
And so we drive back home that day from Thanksgiving, and I go to sleep, and I'm all comfy in my bed, and I'm dreaming. And then my dream gets interrupted because a red flash crosses across my eyes. And my neck and my ear, they become what I describe as otherworldly hot, extremely hot. And a voice starts speaking in my ear and is telling me everything that I can't do, everything that I'm never going to accomplish. And it's saying, Craig, you can't do this and, and you'll never do this and you, and you won't do this. Now, the thing is, I was protected from what it was trying to tell me I couldn't do. So all I could hear was, you can't, you'll never, you won't. But I shot up in my bed and I started praising God, worshiping him, telling him I loved him. And immediately, immediately the voice left my ear and immediately the heat left my neck. Now, if we do a quick little recap of what's happened so far, I haven't done anything. All I have done up to this point is tell my family, I'm going to go help a church. And already, just by doing that, the spirit realm is shaken. Already, just by proclaiming that I'm going to go and help a church, the devil's already trying to intimidate me. I just say I'm going. And so in, the, in that backwards kind of Christian mentality that we have sometimes, I took it as a good sign. Oh, the devil's trying to get at me and scare me off? I guess this is exactly what I should be doing. And so I was applying for apartments, but it is extremely difficult to get an apartment in Stockholm, Sweden. The, uh, there's one uh, statistic that says there is 800,000 people, 100,000 apartments. I'm not a math expert, but that doesn't work out. Whenever parents have a newborn child, they sign that newborn child up on the waiting list in hopes, in hopes that by the time they turn 16, it will be their turn on the waiting list to go and rent an apartment. That's how difficult it is. So I'm applying for apartments. I'm ready to go immediately. My plan was to go October, November, December and be back for Christmas. I wanted to be with my family. But October goes by and nothing happens. And November goes by. And nothing happens. And I, I'm sending hundreds and hundreds of emails out to apartments. And nobody's even responding. December goes by and nothing happens. And so we get into the new year. We get into January 2017. And it's questions start to fill your mind. Like, God, what is going on? I was ready to go to Sweden three months ago. And nothing is working out. So, God, what's the deal? Did, did you want me to go to Sweden or not? And so I, I say, you know, I got to set a goal in my mind. If I could just be there by April, I just picked April. If I can just be there by April, then I'll be happy. January goes by, nothing. February goes by, nothing. The week before April 1st, I'm driving home from work and I get a phone call and it's a long stay hotel. They said, we just had one spot open up. Do you want it? I said, absolutely, book it for three months. I, whenever I got home, I booked my plane ticket, and I was finally ready to go to Sweden. And I arrived on April 4th, 2017. 22-year-old Craig arrives in the nation of Sweden to finally help out this church. And so I spent the first couple of days looking through Old Town. It wasn't tourist season. And so I was able to get all these nice pictures with nobody walking through on my, my camera shots. And it was nice. And my third day there, I went out and checked out Old Town. Old Town. And, and it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was kind of getting hungry. I hadn't eaten lunch yet. And so I said to myself, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to head back to Central Station catch the subway, go back to the Longstay Hotel, grab something out of the grocery store and call it a day. And so I start walking back to Central Station. And as I walk back to Central Station, I, I'm just about there. But then I see off to, off to the side, a, a, a side street. And it's, a, it's one of the main streets in Stockholm, but it's a pedestrian only street. And it's for shopping. So no cars go down. And it's just people only. And it's a massive shopping street right by the subway station. And what happens on Friday afternoons in Sweden is that people get off of work early. And so this, this street is just crowded of people getting off of work, doing a little bit of shopping, and then catching uh, the subway station to go home. 
And so I, I thought to myself, you know, oh, this street looks so cool. I haven't been down it yet. So I'm going to head down it, loop back around to Central Station, call it a day. So I've got my headphones in. I'm, I'm plugged into music. I'm having a good time. I think I'm integrating myself very well at this point into Swedish culture. And I'm walking down this shopping street, and, and then I hear a noise. And it's a noise that it doesn't belong to the environment that you're in. So it catches your attention. And so I look up in the street that I'm on. It kind of rises up in a hill. And as I, as I look up on the top of that hill, there's a truck coming down this pedestrian-only street. And I freeze. And my, my mind thinks about, and it flashes back to the, the terrorist attacks that happened in Nice, France, just a couple months earlier, where a guy just took a truck and he drove it down a beach and just ran people over. And my mind connected it and it's saying, this is, the exact same thing is happening right now. And then my mind kind of came back to me and said, Craig, we should probably get running. And so I turn around on that street and I start running down that street. And I'm looking for anywhere to duck into, whether it's a doorway or, a, or an alleyway. But all I see is just glass window pane after glass window pane after glass window pane. There's nowhere for me to run or escape to. And then my mind says, you know what, Craig, we should probably, we've been running for a while. So we should probably look back and see where that terrorist truck is. And so as I turn to look back to see where that truck is, it's no longer on the left side of the street, but it's on the right side of the street, directly behind me. It's only 10 meters behind me. And I look back and I see that truck and I have a picture perfect image of what it looks like right now. And it's so close and it's going so fast that I look at it and I say, I'm dead. I accepted in that moment that there was no way out. There is nothing I can do to escape this truck. This is the end of my story. This is where Craig Christofferson ends. And I completely, 100% accepted that. But in turning around to see that truck, somehow my eyes must have got, uh, got a hold of an alleyway off to the side and my brain kicked into survival mode. And so I started running across the street towards that alleyway and the truck went behind me and it crashed into the storefront, breaking the glass of the storefront and it missed me by about two meters. It crashed into the storefront. And in that moment, the breaking and the shattering of the glass, it sounded like gunshots. And so what I thought would happen is that whoever they missed not running over, now they got guys in the back of the truck and they're just shooting them. And so I start gunning it down that alleyway and there was a, a mom and her son by, uh, beside me and I, I turned to them and I said, are you okay? Because I wanted to help them if there was anything I could do. And they said, you know, no, we're fine. And so we walked out of that alleyway onto another street, uh, main street, a couple blocks over. And as we go out into that street, people are walking by licking their ice cream cones. And they don't know that just two streets over, people are dying. They have no idea. They're enjoying their Friday afternoon. And as I made my way out onto that other main street, people started filtering out of that alleyway onto that main street with me. And they're, they're bawling their eyes out and they're crying and they're calling their parents, telling them what happened. And it's just chaos. But at this point, I, I kind of think maybe the event's over. And so in my mind, it's just like, I want to catch the subway and go home. <laughs> That's enough for me for one day. So I head back to Central Station. I kind of loop back around and I get to Central Station and I, I, I see a crowd has gathered at, at what I assume is the crash point of that vehicle. And already I think there was a police or an ambulance there on site. And so in my mind, I think it's all over. And so I, I say to myself, you know, I just want to catch the subway and go home. <laughs> and so I go down, I start heading down the escalator down to the subway station. And I'm on the down escalator and a wave of people just start coming up. A massive amount of people just start rushing up from the subway station. And it's like, what now is going on? So I run down the down escalator and I turn back around and I start running up the steps. And there's a lady running beside me up the steps. And so as we got to the top of the steps out of Central Station, I, I grabbed her arm and I said, what's going on down there? She said, we heard gunshots. Now the post-action report is that there, there was no gunman down in the subway. 
what I assume maybe happened is they heard the, the sound of the truck and that sound echoed down into the subway station. Of course, that's going to be a massive sound. So it caused panic down there. People would have been running down there. And so everyone just kind of filtered through. And I can tell you that in, in a terrorist attack, everything is chaos and nobody knows what's going on. But there was not a gunman. But they said, we, we heard gunshots down there. So we all start running away from Central Station. And we run for, for about a kilometer until we start to feel a little bit safer. And then we start walking again. And then I hear tires squealing. And, and a, a black van is coming down the street. And it's, it, it's almost like skids onto our street and starts driving by us. And the doors are open. And hanging outside of the doors are men. They are fully masked, head to toe, all covered in black. And they have rifles. And because of the chaos of the situation, I think to myself, how coordinated are these terrorists? That now they're filtering everybody away. And now they're just going to shoot us as we try and get home. But as that van uh, drove by me I saw on the shoulder it was a police badge and I was able to breathe for a moment Stockholm it's made up of 14 different islands I lived uh, three islands west of the island where uh, of central station and I didn't feel safe until I was about two islands away I had 10 kilometers to walk home and when I tell you that a truck came down a pedestrian street. You're imagining it, right? You're, you're, you got a picture in your mind, but I can almost promise you that how fast you thought that truck was going, it was going faster. And you can go ahead and throw up that video here of the truck going through. If the video doesn't work, that's okay. But we can, we can go by picture by picture. We can do that. That's okay. We can go by picture by picture. So you won't be able to see how fast it is, but you will be able to see how close it is. And so here I am. I'm circled and red. And so I'm going to kind of, I know it's not HD, but I'm going to be this blob moving across the screen. So we can go ahead and start moving through those pictures. So I'm coming through the doorway here. You can keep going. So I'm coming through the doorway here. This footstep that I'm kind of planting, that I plant right there, that's dead. I'm getting run over right there. I'm taking another step now. And as I take this next step, this step, wherever I plant my leg, um, the truck is still going to smoke my leg. So I'm probably either going to lose my leg or it's going to be massively broken. And so I'm still injured there. I'm taking my first step into freedom here. And as I'm starting to move behind that mannequin's head, I start taking my second step. And just as I start planting my leg on that second step, the truck is going to come into view on the right side here. You can start to see that truck coming into view already. I'm right there behind the mannequin's head. The distance that passes between us is about two meters. That is divine intervention. There is nothing I did that day that gives me any merit or credit to escape that truck. That is divine intervention. In this terrorist attack, five people were killed. Fourteen were seriously injured. You can go ahead to the next picture. These are concrete lions that are on these, every block of these pedestrian streets to prevent vehicles from going down them. At the crash site, you can see this person standing beside them. Those stone lines are about hip height. At the crash site of the vehicle, they found multiple stone lions under the vehicle that it had carried for blocks. That's how much momentum and power this truck was carrying. You can go ahead to the next picture. This is right by Central Station. You can see the T up here on the right side. That's, that's for the train station. And you can see kind of that golden clock in behind the T. That's where that vehicle crashed in. And so people were laying flowers and wreaths in memoriam for the victims of this attack. You can go ahead to the next picture. This was the first responder police and the Swedes were covering it in flowers over the next several days. You can go ahead to the next picture. This is where uh, most of the victims died, and so they were laying candles there for them in, in memory of those who passed away in this attack. You can go ahead to the next picture. 
people, it, it crashed into uh, the side of the store, breaking all the glass. And so they had put up some plywood uh, to cover that area. And you can see uh, people were writing notes of love and of hope. They say only love will last. Love overall, love for Sweden. You can see a note, it's around the middle here. It says, pray for Sweden, love over fear. Those notes and those candles and those flowers should have been for me. They should have been for me. And as I was walking home that day, I was thinking to myself, God, why did this happen? What's going on here? Well, why, why did this happen in my life? Because I was, ready to, I was ready to be here in October of last year. So why did all of this time pass? And why didn't I get to come to Sweden immediately? God, why did this happen on my third day here? We haven't even had church service yet. God, what's going on? And this verse that came into my mind, John 9 and 2, it's on the next slide. It says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus, why, do, why did bad things happen to this guy? Why do you let people go through struggle and through hardship? And that's a challenging question. That's a hard question to ask. God, who messed up so that they were put in this situation? And Jesus, he responds in the next verse. He says, wait a minute. It wasn't that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. All of this was done so that we could see his glory on display. This wasn't done because anybody messed up. This is so he can tell other people what he has overcome by my grace and goodness. He can tell other people what God has done in his life. These hardships are meant to be victory reports. And these struggles that you're going through, they're supposed to be trophies up on the wall that you display and you say, look what God has done for me. Look what God has brought me through. So stop taking them the wrong way. Look what Jesus has saved me from. And that's why the Bible, it makes a seemingly backward statement. It tells us, be happy when opposition occurs. And you read that and you're like, that's a little bit messed up. That's a little bit kind of weird sometimes. But maybe... Maybe what you're going through is a sign that you're doing a good job. Maybe what you're going through is God deemed you faithful enough to go through a situation. He said, this person's still going to serve me. Just like Job, you can go ahead and tempt and you can go ahead and mess them up, but they're still going to serve me. And at the end of it, I'm going to bring them through and they're going to have a testimony of what I have done in their life. All of this was done so that we could see his glory on display. Now, I'm not an Olympic sprinter, and there was nothing I did that day to, to get out of the way. And we have a miracle that has happened. It is a miracle that that truck missed me. But we can add to the miracle. My grandfather, he woke up that morning. The time difference between here in Ontario and in Stockholm, Sweden is six hours. He wakes up about eight o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, he gets an impression to pray for me. He can't explain it. He doesn't know why. As far as he knows, I just arrived in the country. I'm settled and everything's fine. But he gets an impression to pray for me. So he begins to pray for me 8 a.m. here in Ontario. We fast forward six hours. That's 2 p.m. in Stockholm. The terrorist attack happened at 2.53 p.m. God knows what you need before you even need it. God knows what you need before you even step into the situation. He woke up my grandfather to pray for me before I even took one step down that street. So we have a miracle. And we added to the miracle. But we can add to it one more time. They caught the terrorist who did this attack. And they were interviewing him and, and, and getting him to talk about the situation. And he said, I planned this out for three months. I knew the day I was going to do it. 
I knew the minute I was going to do it. The truck that I hijacked, I knew the route it was going to take and the exact moment it was going to be there. I knew what, what uh, road I was going to drive down. And I never planned to make it out alive because I had a bomb. They found him because he had burn marks on his hands from trying to detonate the explosives in the vehicle. The bomb never went off. I don't know why. The bomb never went off. You would, you would have a very hard time trying to convince me that someone who is so premeditated, who had this thing planned out for months, failed to make a working bomb. You would fail to convince me of that. Now, the thing is, whenever I looked back to see that truck, I didn't see a driver. And I, whenever I got home that day, my parents said, did they catch the terrorist who did it yet? Did they catch the guy who did it yet? I said, what are you talking about? There was no guy. In my mind, someone had bricked the gas pedal and just sent the truck down the street. That's what I thought in the chaos of the moment. They said, did, you, did they catch the guy? I said, what guy? There was no guy. There was no guy at all. Next night, I'm watching the news that they caught the guy. <laughs> I was a little bit confused. Putting all these things together, whenever I looked back and saw that terrorist truck, I didn't see anybody driving the truck. You saw the pictures. I'm the only person on the street. His intention was to run people over and blow himself up. Why does he miss me? There's no other target on the street. Why does he crash into the side of the store? It doesn't make sense until you start to put all these pieces together. And I think it's very reasonable to say that when I looked back and I saw that truck, because this is almost at the crash site. It's a one block away from the crash site. Whenever I looked back and I saw that truck, I didn't see a driver because in that moment he was trying to blow himself up. He was most likely leaning over in the seat trying to detonate those explosives that weren't detonating. And if those explosives go off at any time, I'm not here. But the explosives never went off, and he missed me. He missed me. That's the hand of God right there. That's the hand of God. And so I arrive in Sweden, and, and we started out with just three people. We started out with three people, but what started as three people, it began to grow and mature over time. And so... We, we went through some, some pretty tough times. For the first year, it was, it was three to five people in, in, in Stockholm for about a full year. Now, we did have one person get baptized in 2018, and that kind of broke a brick wall for us. And what was interesting about that baptism is, is that person who got baptized, they were the first person to come in since the old leadership had left. And they were also the first person to get baptized after the old leadership had left. And that really, it broke a brick wall for us. But the problem that we were experiencing is that Stockholm could only meet one time a week. We had Sunday service, and that's it. And it got to the point where I could no longer stay in a long-stay hotel. And so I needed an apartment in Stockholm. And I've already given you kind of some facts about how hard it is to get a place in Stockholm, but I'll, I'll add another one. There's one lady in the church. She's been living in Stockholm for 35 years. She's never gotten an apartment in Stockholm unless it's through a friend or a family member. And so I, uh, it's, it's time for me to get an apartment because I have no other options. And so through Pastor Collier's business, construction business, she has a lot of contacts. And so some of these contacts have apartments down in Stockholm that just sit there completely empty. They say they're using them for storage, but the only storage really that's happening there is they basically have a toaster on the kitchen shelf. And so she was working with this, with this one person of trying to, to rent out an apartment. And so uh, it kind of got to a situation where she, we were, I was going to go in to meet her so she could meet me and see who I am and, and kind of be more comfortable with the situation maybe. And so we go to meet her and, and, and try and convince her that I'm, I'm, an, I'm an okay person and I can rent out your apartment, please. And so we go and we have a meeting with her and it went very well. But at the end of the meeting, as we're walking out of her driveway, she says, you know what? I'm still kind of unsure. And she said this in a, in a sarcastic, kind of more belittling kind of tone. 
She says, you know what? I don't know. If you want the apartment, you have to pray for it. And she said that almost in a way to, to throw a punch. But I said, oh. In my mind, I said, oh. You want me to pray for it? Game on. <laughs> I know how this is going to end. So I went back, and I prayed for it. One week later, she got back in touch with Pastor Collier and said, Craig can go ahead and rent out my apartment. And so it's a beautiful apartment in the center of the city. It's perfect size for me. And so I finally got an apartment. We had a place to start holding Bible studies. And and at one point, we had 16 people in that apartment. We had people sitting on the floor just to attend church. And and, uh, time went on where we were going to have a Bible study. This happened in in late 2019, about October 2019. We had someone who was going to get baptized. But what had had happened is about for the past 10 years, the Stockholm Church rented a location from the Salvation Army. And so we were going to have a baptism. We had our portable baptism tank, and I was setting that up. But what had happened is the week before, they switched the audio system in the church. And so I was like, hey, can you come show me how to work this so we can actually have music this week? And so they came in, and he was showing me how to work the new audio system, and he saw that I was setting up a baptismal tank. And so he said, oh, you guys are you guys do baptism. I said, yeah. And so we started talking about you know some verses about baptism. And he said, you know, in the Salvation Army, we're not allowed to do baptism. But I have, for a couple people, kind of under the radar because they deemed it was essential for salvation. And so he was very interested that we did baptism. And so as he took his leave that day, he said, you know what? I would love to meet up for lunch with you and talk more about baptism. And I thought to myself, wow, what a great opportunity. God is working something right here. And then, so we have our baptism that Sunday and everything went well. And then a couple weeks later, Pastor Collier gets an email, and the email says, and I quote, (laughs) that our our rental contract is being terminated because of theological differences. And I thought, wow, (laughs) what is God up to? (laughs) We're getting kicked out of church. And this is at a moment in time where we're just starting to grow. We're finally starting to grow. People are starting to get baptized. And it was a punch in the gut. Really, God? You're going to do this now? We just started doing some baptism. We just started people having come in and attending Bible study. God, what's going on? This doesn't make any sense. And so all last winter, we held services in my apartment. People sitting on the floor to, to attend church services. And, and we had people coming in, but it was, it was tough. And, and over, over this time, we had uh, Brother Halar is a pillar in the Stockholm Church. And he had come to a service, and he said, you know, Craig, I need you to pray for me. I have cancer in my body. And so I said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll pray for you. And so we're praying for Brother Halar. And, and the next week, a young lady comes into service, and she says, you know, we got uh, my, my friend's mom over in California. Uh, she has a doctor's appointment coming up this week. She has breast cancer. We're, uh, can we pray that by the time the doctor's appointment rolls around, that, that the cancer will be gone? And so we say, yes, we're going to pray for that. And so the next Sunday service rolls around, and, I, and we're giving updates. And I said, you know, how, how'd that doctor's appointment go? She said she showed up to the doctor's appointment. The cancer was completely gone. And so we rejoice and we thank God. God, I thank you that I can send your spirit across across the world and you can heal somebody. But it was still like, you know what? We got Brother Halar here who has cancer and we still need that prayer answered. So we're continuing to pray for Brother Halar. He was booked and he had lung cancer. If you have lung cancer, you have a 30% chance to survive. And so he gets booked in for a surgery. He goes through that surgery. They do the surgery. The lung cancer is completely removed. And you may sit here and say, you know what, Craig, that's kind of just the, doc- that's the doctor being a good doctor. That's good health care. No, that's a 30% chance to survive. God was in that surgery. God was on that surgeon's hands as he did that surgery to remove all the cancer. And that is a God miracle once again. And so time went on and, and the beginning of this year, you know, we're still having services in my apartment. <laughs> And we got a bunch of new people coming in. We have like eight new people coming in at one time. And it was crazy, but we're having service in my apartment. And it's like, this doesn't really look good. We don't even have a location. We need a location. And I've told you how hard it is to get a place in Stockholm. 
And so we're working away at it. We're praying about it. We're fasting about it. And in uh, the end of January of this year, we got a new location to have church. And it's at the very center of the city. It's five minutes away from Central Station. Just the same size. Everything is set up. I don't have to tear down and set up chairs every single week. It's got an audio system. It's got a piano. It's got a guitar. Five minutes from Central Station for less rent. For less rent. And so over the years, we have been put into situation after situation where it's just like only God can provide. And I just want to speak. I'm going to be maybe six minutes. I just want to talk to you for six to eight minutes on this subject. Only God can. Only God can. Coronavirus hit at the beginning of this year. And in rural India, there was a pharmacist, and he became breathless. And in rural India, it was, it was floodwater season. And so he couldn't take public transportation to the hospital. He, he didn't have a car. He walked through floodwaters hours away to the closest hospital that was to him to try and get some medical help. And so he gets there, and he has to wait a full day just to get oxygen support. But by the time he got oxygen support, it was too late. There's a quote in the news article. It says, we were told that he was severely breathless overnight. And other patients, they tried to call the doctor for him, but nobody came. Finally, he fell from his bed and he died due to a lack of oxygen. Now, private hospitals in India, they're they're out of reach for most people. And they're also not practical because they charge up to $200 a day. Now, you may say, well, $200 a day, surely you can do that for maybe a week or at least three days, but we're talking about $200 a day, where in a state where the daily per capita income is $1.50. So instead, ordinary people have to make do with the local hospitals, hospitals that are dirty, where beds are very few and far between, and, and any treatment for the coronavirus is just not available. One doctor said this. He said, the poor, they have to rely on God. A couple months ago in Lebanon, the port of Beirut blew up due to 2,750 tons of highly explosive ammonium nitrate. It's used in fertilizers and in bombs and it had been stored in that port years without safety measures and precautions being taken and it blew up sending a massive mushroom cloud and devastating buildings all around that mediterranean city and exhausted rescue workers were working through the wreckage of that port trying to find anybody who was still alive and days went by and outside of the gate of that port was a father Elias Marooney, he sat in his chair describing to the news reporter his son, George, who was a 30-year-old army officer who had worked just meters away from where that bomb went off, killing 154 people, injuring 5,000 people. And this dad, he said, we would, we would like to go inside the port to look for my son, but we can't get permission. He'd been waiting for three days. He said, no one is helping us. Only God can. Sometimes it feels like we're put into situation where there's there's no hope. God, why are we getting kicked out of a church building? God, why am I looking at a terrorist truck 10 meters behind me and it's going to kill me, God? God, why am I in this situation? It doesn't seem like there's any option that gets us out alive. And maybe just like these people in rural India and in the port of Beirut, they can't get health care and they can't get anybody to help them out in this situation. And maybe for us today, it seems like that, that there's no hope on the horizon. It's just pain and it's just loss and it's just hurt. And maybe like these people, you're just driven to the edge of your sanity where all you can do is just sit down and say, no one is helping me. 
The only solution I have left is if God steps on the scene. But even in saying that, even in saying that only God can help, you don't really believe it. You don't really have faith in what you're saying. It's it's just kind of comforting. It's just to comfort you. It's a simple saying. Maybe God can intervene. Only God could do that. I don't even really know if he can, but only God could. Maybe that's where you're at today, where you're hurt and you're frustrated. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you're just resigned to giving up. But I want you to know today, I want you to know that even if you're at your wit's end and you feel like there's nothing else you can do, even in a situation where the only option is your death, even if you're like me, where you're looking back at the truck and you're saying, I'm dead and that's it, God can still move. And I told you these stories. I told you these stories today because I want to let you know. I want to let you know that even when it seems like there's no way out, God still saves you. Even when it looks like every report says I'm dead, God can still save you. When you think that everything is over, this is the end of my life, God still has a plan for you. Even when the church lost its rental location, God had a plan for us. We couldn't find any place to go, but he said, if you just wait a little while, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you in a better location. I looked at that truck and said, God, there's nowhere I can go. But God said, I I got my hand on this situation. Halar had lung cancer. He had a 30% chance to live. But God said, no, I still have plans for him. Sometimes it seems like we're in a situation where only God can. And I want to let you know tonight, he can and he will. God has brought us into times like this so we can know he can also bring us out of it. All of this was done so that we could see his glory on display. I want to close. We're going to look at two verses about the prophet Elijah, and then we're going to pray. Music, if you could get ready to come back. You can go ahead to that that next slide. It says, and he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord, he passed by in a great and a strong wind. It tore the mountains, and it broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. That's a strong wind. But the Lord, he wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came. But the Lord, he wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a a fire came. But the Lord, he wasn't even in the fire. But after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Elijah, he's brought up to this mountain. And it seems like for the longest time, All he is experiencing in his life is destruction. All he's going through is the chaotic forces in his life, tearing everything around him apart. Wind comes and it it tears the rocks apart. It broke in pieces, rocks. That is a devastating wind. And then an earthquake comes and it shakes the very foundation of what he thinks is solid. And nothing's happening. And then a wildfire comes and it's burning all the trees and the vegetation around. And God, he's still not present. God, where are you in my situation? Everything I'm experiencing is destruction. Everything I'm experiencing is negative. If you imagine that scene with me, Elijah, he's just witnessed hurricane-like winds and an earthquake that makes him run for his life and a devastating wildfire that probably almost suffocated him to death. And his devastation and his destruction all around him. And as he stands there, the surroundings of the ground still smoldering from the chaos. He probably wondered what was going on in his life. God, why have I lived through what I have lived through and why haven't you been here to help me 
God, I, I almost died from suffocation. Where were you at when I needed you? Why didn't the doctors have an answer to my medical situation? Why was a loved one taken from me a little bit too soon? Why, why do bad things keep happening? God, I'm kind of at my wit's end right now. What's going on? Why does it seem like all I'm going through is devastation and destruction? God, who sinned so that this man was born blind. But after the destruction comes the still, small voice of the Lord. And it's after the destruction we see that God was waiting on us the whole God was there the whole time. There was calamity and there was destruction on that mountain. And as God began to speak to him, Elijah, he could have asked the question. He could have rightfully asked the question, God, where were you? God, why didn't you, you show up? Why did you put my life in danger? I almost died. God, where were you when I needed you? He could have asked that question, but he doesn't. He doesn't answer, he doesn't ask that question. Why? Why doesn't he ask that question? It's because Elijah knows who called him up on the mountain. Who called Elijah up there? Who told Elijah to go up and stand on the mountain? God did. Go ahead and throw that verse back up. God called Elijah up on the mountain. Go and stand on the mountain. What? before me before me I didn't leave you you're before me I didn't go somewhere else and forget about me you you're before me I didn't mess up nobody messed up you're before me you're before me I'm looking at you the whole time you're before me you may feel alone and it may seem like everything is negative, but you are before me. And God, he didn't warn him. He didn't warn him of the destruction ahead, but he certainly knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. God called him into the chaos that ensued. Why? Not to make him a broken man, to make him a better man. Not to, not to put him in a state of devastation and depression. Not to try and ruin his life and make him miserable. No, that, that's not the point of any of this at all. And Elijah, he doesn't take it that way either. He never even questions it. He doesn't question it. He knew all of this was done so that we could see his glory on display. God wants you to know right now, even after all the devastation that you've walked through, even after all the hard times that you've been through. He's there with you the whole time. He knows what you need before you even need it. He is still faithful. He still has plans for you. He knew what you were going to go through before you even stepped into it. He knew I was going to walk down that road before I even took one step down it. He knew the church was going to lose the building before we even lost it. God knows what you're going to go through before you even stepped into it. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. I don't know. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're, you're dealing with in your life. I don't know what your only God can think is. But I know that only God can. I know that it can, and I know that he will. He doesn't love me any more than he loves you. He doesn't favor me any more than he favors you. And what God has done for me, he can do for you. We got an altar space up here in the front, but let's lift our hands right now together with an emboldened faith, an emboldened faith that says, God, you can. God, it may feel like I'm alone right now, but I know that you can. God, I expect you to do it. I may be up on this mountain alone, but God, I know you are able to do it. Lord, I put my, I put my problem before you. God, I put my faith into action right now, and I'm speaking things that aren't as though they were. Lord, you're going to step on the scene right now, and why don't you just begin to praise him? 
God, thank you for what you are going to do in my life. Thank you for the movement that I'm going to experience. I'm going to come in next week and I'm going to tell Pastor O'Donnell, this is what God did in my life. This is what God did. He moved and he is still moving. Let's worship him. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram. And on Facebook, just search Life Church and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. Now, before you go, we ask if possible from whatever platform you may be listening to us on, give us a rating or a review or even both. And share this message with someone so that they can be impacted by the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.